This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. We take a look at the different compartments or categories of our lives and figure out what that looks like specifically to that category. And we had a bunch of kids that are like 14 get up and leave, so where are they going? That's not... Um, anyway, it's, it's one category, we deal with it, in, or it's one subject, we deal with it in different categories, but there's all kind of mixing it up together, so that's kind of how we're approaching it, and that's how we're approaching the book of Jude, because he talks about all of it in one very short uh, letter to believers he talks about all of it, and I th- so that's why I thought that would be a good place to go so we could kind of just focus our attention. And I mentioned uh, uh, in my prayer about the simple gospel, about um, the fact that the Lord has a plan for us, and it's not difficult to understand it. It's not difficult to move into that plan and to live there. Um, and... I'm really glad I asked Nick to do that song this morning because as, as we were singing it, you know, I just had this complete satisfaction that what we're talking about is the truth, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be guilty of, talk, of saying anything when I'm up here like this or ever really that couldn't be qualified as truth. If we're not going to tell the truth, then let's just forget about it and go do whatever else we want to do, but it has to start with the truth. And when we're talking about contending, uh, I think contending for our faith, in my way of looking at it, everything starts with worship. So we lead off our services with a worship time. There's a whole lot to be said about that because I don't want it to be an item on the order of service that we check off when we're finished with and we go to the next thing. Worship has to saturate everything we do. We have to be in this attitude and spirit of worship no matter what we're participating in when we come together. But we lead off with that worship time very intentionally and for very important reasons. I was glad that Riley uh, spoke up as what I believe to be an act of obedience this morning with courage to say what he said. Because worship is more important than I could ever put into words. And one of the most important things it does is it, and you've heard me say this a lot, it sets the table it prepares the meal. It prepares us for the meal. How many of you have, of you have ever prayed and asked God, you've presented a request to God, you've asked Him to answer a prayer? Yeah, we do that, right? Well, you know what is a really good idea? Is if we do that in a spirit and an attitude of worship. If the, if the table has already been set with worship before we go to Him to ask for something. So practically speaking, I'm a father. There are other fathers and parents in the room, grandparents. 
your kid comes to you having been totally ungrateful, having said thank you for nothing all week long, having had an attitude, but they come to you because there's something they want. And they present that request to you. How do you feel? How does it make you feel when they come with their hand out or they're, they're wanting you to meet a need, they're wanting you to spend money when they haven't behaved properly, they haven't used manners, they haven't expressed gratitude? On the other hand, if they've been really sweet and said thank you a lot and shown this attitude of gratitude, been very grateful all through the week, and then they come to you with a request... Are you more inclined to at least think about trying to meet the request? Sure, as long as you don't understand that it's manipulation. Speaking of Riley again, he's the king of manipulation. It's like when, when he knows something's coming up that he wants, he's going to be Johnny on the spot with anything you need and grateful and all this. He's, he's a pretty good kid who doesn't always do that, but he knows how to do it, believe me. So... When we live in a lifestyle of worship, when we enter His gates with thanksgiving, come into His courts with praise, when we take the worship time corporately seriously, when we participate, when we do what Riley challenged us to do, go deeper, dive in. Don't wait on somebody else to do something. You don't even have to wait on them. We do call them the worship leaders, right? the lead worshipers, but worship has to be an individual experience. It has to be in you to be a worshiper. And like I said, it sets the table for everything else that's to come. So if you have that request to present to God, you're now sitting at the table perfectly positioned for God to give you the answer according to His will and purpose. For God to meet the need according to His will and purpose. For His kingdom to come, His will to be done, His daily bread to show up in the form that it needs to show up in to meet the need in your life. Starts with worship. And then what about the Word? Because we got four words, if we could go ahead and put them up on, on the uh, screen. Worship combined with prayer, because, listen, it is really difficult to separate prayer out and make it its own topic. If you see prayer as a thing by itself that you do in life periodically then you're looking at prayer the wrong way. If prayer is something that you do when you sit down to eat a meal, and then you do it when you lay down at night to go to sleep, and then you ha maybe have a set period of time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or whatever, which most of us don't, but if you do have a prayer time that's designated and identified as that, and that's the extent of your understanding of prayer, and that's the extent of your prayer life, then you don't have a prayer life. Because that's not what prayer is about. That's not the nature of prayer. That's just not the heart of it. Prayer is a lifestyle. Prayer is constant. Prayer is something that should be 
happening should be active in us all the time while we're moving through life, while we're communicating, while we're making decisions, while we're doing business, while we're going to school, while we're driving up and down the road. Our lives should be covered in prayer. It should be an automatic. It shouldn't be something that we have to think about and make a plan for. It shouldn't be something that we're only compelled to do when somebody calls us to prayer or asks us to pray about something. It should be part of our lives. It should be covering our entire lives. And it's so closely connected with worship that you can't separate the two. And what these things do, worship and prayer, is they till up the soil that's inside of us to make it ready for the seed of the Word. Have you ever been to church? You participated in whatever was happening. The preacher preached. He gave us some verses of Scripture. He preached for 30 minutes on it and then prayed a prayer. You went home. Later that evening, you couldn't remember what the man talked about that morning. That's sad. That's sad. Here's why. Because what it says is, it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that his sermon was bad. It doesn't necessarily, maybe it was, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean that the material was irrelevant to your life. It could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But here's what I guarantee you it means. It means that your heart was not prepared to receive the, the seed of the Word. That's what it means. And why was it not? Because it had not been tilled up through worship and prayer. Don't blame me, blame you. Okay? pressure off now if I preach a bad sermon fine if if the materials irrelevant it is what it is but if no seed gets into you that you can remember after a while or on Monday morning when you're back out there in the messy world there's something wrong inside of you and it's wrong because you did not do the preliminary work of worship and prayer because another guarantee, if you are living a life that is filled with worship and prayer, a bad sermon will land in your heart and some good will come out of it. Maybe not the whole thing, but if the Word of God is involved, there's going to be seed that's going to land in there. And it's going to make a difference in you. So if you go to church and the Word makes no difference in you, you need to examine not the Word. You need to examine not the person who's expounding the Word. You need to examine your life of worship and prayer. And then the fourth word is fellowship. It's just enormous how important this business of fellowship is. And we have to come together. We have to mix up in each other's lives. We have to break bread. We have to communicate. We have to talk. We have to share needs. We have to encourage one another. We have to live in community. If you, if you 
read the Scripture, especially go to the book of Acts and read what the characteristics of the New Testament church in its brand new early phases were. It always included this huge element of fellowship. They got together, they knew each other, they hung out, they played games together, they worshipped and prayed together, they sang songs together, they broke bread together, they lived in community. And we can't do without any one of these four items. We can't. I want to point this out in case you've never thought about it. Here at this body, City of Refuge South, that's all we do. We don't do anything else. Why? Because that's what's important. The simple gospel. Simple. So Jeff, well, you just, you just put it like this because you're so simple. Well, yeah, maybe that's part of it. But I can tell you that I have dug my way through the story of God's people, the story of Jesus coming to redeem the lost, the story of the New Testament church that followed, that opportunity for redemption, and all I can find is worship prayer, the word, and fellowship. That's all I can find. Everything I find in there falls into those categories. You say, well, what about outreach? What about reaching out to the lost? Yeah, it all comes as a byproduct of this. And when it comes as a byproduct of this, it's always effective. It's always genuine. It's always eternal work. You don't feel like you're spinning your wheels and doing nothing, accomplishing nothing. And look, I don't want to be guilty of doing anything except honoring the heart and the plan of God by following His Word after I've aligned myself through worship and prayer and am experiencing the fellowship with other believers. Heard somebody talking the other day, <clears throat> indirect conversation about having visited a church and they said and they weren't being hypercritical it was just a statement they said yeah I went over there and checked it out said but when I left it just felt more like entertainment than it did church I hope somebody will run me over with a dump truck if we ever present an environment here that feels more like entertainment then it does worship. I can't think of anything more egregious to do than to have a house of worship with, a, with the family of God and for us to feel like it's our responsibility to entertain people, to keep people comfortable, to make sure they leave with the warm fuzzies, to make sure that the temperature was 100% right, that the lights were 100% right, that everything was attractive, everything was uh, meeting the sensitivities of the people who were sitting out there. I don't care about any of that. We're going to come in here, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to receive the Word, and we're going to fellowship with each other, period. End of story. So let's look at, let's just walk through some portions of the book of Jude here. Put up the first section that I gave you. And we're going to see how 
Jude teaches, now again, I've said this every week, he's talking to church people. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to the pagan, heathen world. He's talking to people who have already had an experience with Jesus Christ and are living in the way and are part of a body of believers. <coughs> he says, dear friends, I've dropped everything to write, and this is the message version, which, I just, which just spoke to me powerfully this week. I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I write, I have to write, insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. What has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of God with sheer license, which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only master. I'm laying this out as clearly as I can, even though you once knew all this well enough and shouldn't need reminding. Here it is in brief. The master saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Later he destroyed those who defected, and you know the story of the angels who didn't stick to their post, abandoning it, abandoning it for, uh, for other darker missions, but they are now chained and jailed in a black hole until the great judgment day. Listen, he starts off by pointing out, and I shared this with you last week, that salvation is a gift. It's the most important gift that can ever be given. It's the most important gift that you can ever receive. And he says that we have a responsibility to cherish it and protect it. As a matter of fact, he starts out by saying, "You, I'm begging you to fight or to contend for this faith. We have to be very intentional. We have to be very literal in what we're doing day by day as it relates to fighting for our faith. We had elections a week ago. And look, there's all sort of turmoil and all sorts of things, and people, some people are happy and some, some people are not so happy. And, and the, one of the biggest mistakes we could ever get into is to put our trust in the government to take us where we need to go. We don't need to sit around being pessimistic about what is happening up there or wherever it's happening. We don't need to, to sink into some level of depression because we didn't get our way, because we feel like that, that the country's going to hell in a handbasket. If we believe that God is the all-powerful God, that we, if we believe that we are part of the family of God, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is with us, constantly that he's always teaching and guiding and, and and leading us in the right direction then we don't have to worry about that we, we can have our desires we have our civic responsibilities but we don't have to worry because we know that we're in the place we need to be in we know that we're part of the fellowship. We know that we've been granted this tremendous gift, and we know that we have a responsibility to focus on that and not on external sources to solve our problems. And he points out that worship is a huge part of this. 
Worship is a huge part of contending, of fighting. So when I talk about intentionality, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, I can get up in the mornings and I can be negative and I can bemoan the situation in my life or in the world in general. Or I can get up in the morning and say, you know what, whatever's going on out there is what it is. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship. I'm going to focus on Him. I'm going to pay attention to the words of Jesus when He said, when you pray, pray like this. Father, Your name is holy. That's worship. That starts the worship experience is to acknowledge Him for who He is. You are holy. You are a holy God. I'm submitted. I'm surrendered to you, to your plan, because He says the next thing you say is, Your kingdom, your plan, your will, your purpose. That's what I want to show up in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done perfectly in me, through me, as it's done perfectly in heaven every day. Is there any question about whether the will, the kingdom of God is done perfectly in heaven? No. Our prayer is that it will be done perfectly in us just like it's done perfectly there. And then for His daily bread to come. All these prayers are acts of worship. It's verbalizing our worship. There's no greater act of worship than surrender. To say, Father, it's all about You. You're at the center. I'm looking to You. And then He points out the angels. And this is a very important part of understanding how worship works and how important it is in our lives. He says the angels abandoned their post. What was their post? Their post was a post of worship. Angels were created to worship God and to contend for the ways of God. These are the two primary roles of angels are to worship and to fight. They have a secondary responsibility which is to bring messages to people but it starts with worship angels created to worship but what happened you had one of the leaders among the ranks of angels who decided he wanted to raise himself up higher than God and he recruited percentage of the angelic force to come with him they abandoned their post of worship. We're at risk of doing the same thing. We're at risk of not tending to our lives of worship. We're at risk of abandoning the post. Look, go to church all you want to. Read your Bible all you want to. Bless the poor at every opportunity. Pay your tithes and offerings. But if you don't have worship, if you're not at the post of worship, you'd do just as well to forget about all the rest of it. There is no such thing as carrying on a relationship with the Father at any level without the element of worship being there. Let's go to the next section of Scripture. (coughs) These people are warts. He's talking about the people who have shown up. He says they have infiltrated. And I want to talk about that for a minute, but let me read this. These people are warts on your love feasts as you worship and eat together. They're giving you a black eye. 
carousing shamelessly, grabbing anything that isn't nailed down there, puffs of smoke pushed by gusts of wind, late autumn trees stripped clean of leaf and fruit, doubly dead, pulled up by the roots, wild ocean waves leaving nothing on the beach but the foam of their shame, lost stars in outer space on their way to the black hole. Enoch, the seventh after Adam, prophesied of them, look, the master comes with thousands of holy angels to bring judgment against them all. Convicting each person of every defiling act of shameless sacrilege, of every dirty word they have spewed out of their pious filth. These are the grumpers, the belly achers, grabbing for the biggest piece of the pie, talking big, saying anything they think will get them ahead. But remember, dear friends, that the apostles of our Master Jesus Christ told us this would happen. In the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make a religion of their own whims and lusts. These are the ones who split churches thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the Spirit. i got to point out a couple of really, really important things to you here. Again, Jude is talking about church people and he's not talking about folks there on the outside who scheme and formulate a plan to come in and infiltrate the church for the purpose of causing problems that's not what he's talking about he's not talking about somebody coming in from the outside on a mission to break up a fellowship it's not what he's talking about What's he talking about? He's talking about people who because they have not set the table in their own lives through worship and prayer, have allowed the wrong seed to be planted in them, and now they are still part of the church, but they are a diseased part of the body, and listen, very important, sometimes they don't even know it. Do you, are you aware that right now in the 11 o'clock hour on a Sunday morning that there are pastors and preachers standing in pulpits who fall in the category of what was just described in the book of Jude? They are making a joke out of life in Christ. They are promoting their own whims and lusts. What does that mean? When we use the word lust, you know, the mind usually goes to some sort of sexual promiscuity. Lust means a whole lot more than that. If you lust for, if you desire attention for yourself, that's a lust. If you want to get something for yourself, if you want to earn financial gain through the ministry, that's a lust. It's the, you remember where the scripture says the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is talking about the same kind of thing. And again, talking to believers. 
There are ministry leaders who have been misled because they did not align themselves in worship and prayer and allowed the wrong seed to get in there, and now they're giving that seed away, and sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing but they had got, because they got off track way back when they failed to align themselves in worship and prayer with the Father. There are churches right now that are putting on shows for the next hour. It's like going to a concert. It's like going to the movies. It's like going to a play at the Fox. It's entertainment. These are the ones who split churches. Why why do churches split? You know, I used to work at this church. We had two church splits while I was here. When I hear the word church split, I shudder because the church is the body of Christ. And when you talk about a church split, what are you talking about? You're talking about ripping the body apart in a very violent and ugly and destructive way. There is never a benefit out of a church split. Why do church splits happen? Because you have people who are operating out of their own whims and lusts instead of operating out of an attitude of worship and prayer. Well, the atmosphere is really heavy in here, and, uh, and y'all are looking at me like, my God, what happened to him? As I was studying this, It just struck me that Jude is dealing with the church. The whole purpose for writing the letter was to challenge them and to warn them about what can happen in your church if you do not operate off of a spirit of worship and prayer. I or any person who gives away the word doesn't even need to waste time trying to give away the word if there's no atmosphere of worship and prayer in the house you don't you don't just get to the word without walking through the processes first of aligning yourself in worship and prayer to be able to receive the Word. The Word is holy. The Word is pure. The Word is perfect. The Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. Right? In the beginning was the Word, John said. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He goes on to say that he was present in creation. What's he talking about? He's talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And he points at him and says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's talking about a man. He's talking about the person of Jesus. He's the Word. And let me tell you something. If you're not worshiping Jesus, you cannot receive the Word that is Jesus. If you are not praying to and in the name of Jesus, you cannot receive the Word that is Jesus. Communion, which I hope to do next week or the following week. 
Communion is a representation of taking the person of Jesus into us. And it's an act of worship. You have to set yourself up to receive the Lord through your attitude of worship. He says these people are thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them. No sign of the Spirit. I go to a church and I leave and I say it just felt like entertainment instead of church. What does that say? It says there was no sign of the Spirit. You you don't leave a house of worship having not worshipped, but having been entertained, and there having been no sign of the Spirit. That's not contending for the faith. I want to stay there a while, but we need to move on. Let's go to the next. (coughs) But you, dear friends, now here you go. Here's the offensive. Carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith. Number one, by praying in the Holy Spirit. Number two, by staying at the center of God's love. Number three, by keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. Look, before we read this next one, let's talk about that a second. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. How do we get to the point, because I've spent a lot of years just praying ineffective prayers. I knew I should pray. But I would have trouble concentrating in prayer, and then I would feel like my prayers just didn't go anywhere, and, you know, rarely ever see an answer to prayer or anything like that. But there's this issue of praying in the Spirit. Well, how do we get to that? Because here's another guarantee. I love to make guarantees, as you notice. Here's a guarantee. If you are praying in the Spirit, you're going to have an effective prayer life. There's really no argument against that. The question is, how do you get to the spot in life where you know that you are praying in the Spirit? The answer is the same as the answer to everything else I've shared with you today. Worship and prayer. You have to make a decision to pray, but it's the worship that will take that decision to prayer to pray and make it a holy decision that causes you to be escorted into the presence of God and then you are praying in the Spirit of God. Worship. I recently have have not... It's not that my entire understanding of worship has been put aside but it's that it's been added to. It's growing, my understanding of worship. And what I see is real worship and what I see is imitation, as posing, as mockery. 
as those things that we read about a few minutes ago, those, that ugly description of what's going on in church to a large extent. It's because people are not operating in the Spirit. And in this, in this growing up of my understanding of worship, I'm putting aside the power of the music. Did you hear what I just said? I'm putting that aside. And here's why. Because music can move you, spirit of God or no spirit of God. Am I telling the truth? Music is a powerful art. I've been to a few concerts in my life that were not Christian concerts. Full disclosure. And I have been moved by those experiences. I went to a concert in 1985 in Tampa, Florida that still moves me when I think about it. Because I witnessed a man on a stage in a 14,500-seat arena with people wrapped around and point everything focused on the stage. I witnessed him climb up a bank of speakers maybe 40 feet off the floor and turn around and drop himself off backwards with his arms spread out and the people below on the floor with all their hands extended up like this caught him. And I said, you know what? I think that man could tell this crowd of people to do anything he wanted them to do right now and they'd do it. That's the power of music. It can drive you internally. It can move you. It can speak to you, even if it's not in the Spirit. I'm putting aside the power of the music. I appreciate our musicians. We're going to keep doing that. It's a very important part of what we do. If I recognize in any one of them that they're operating just out of their own whims and lusts, I'm going to set them down. Okay? But I understand how worship music works. Have you noticed that there are points in the song where there's this build up? There's this lead up. It gets a little stronger. The drums start to pick up, right, Jeff? He understands how it works. They start picking up. You know what all that is designed to do? It's designed to charge you up emotionally. If you go to worship seminars, conferences, they teach that. Here's how you can get the people out here energized, enthusiastic, emotionally charged. It's how the music, it's how it, the songs are constructed to do that. Well, if we just depend on that, that's outside the Spirit. I'm not going to depend on the power of the music. I'm not going to depend on an order of service. I'm not going to depend on expectations. It's going to be pure worship, pure prayer, pure word, pure fellowship, period. And whatever the number of people is that enjoys coming and embracing that, the truth of the simple gospel, will feel very comfortable here. And the ones who are looking for something else, some entertainment, some whatever, they won't. And that's just fine with me. 
Build yourself up in the most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. Stay in at the center of God's love. <coughs> We're living lives of worship. That's going to happen automatically. Keeping your arms open and outstretched. Fellowship, outreach, love, benevolence, compassion. It's not about me. It's not about grabbing what I can get and pulling it in here. It's about walking through life with my arms outstretched and my hands wide open. It's about allowing the blessings to settle on me so I can shake them off on somebody else. This is the unending life, he says, the real life. Let's go to the, to the last um, verses. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. Hmm. We need to confess and repent, right? Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Be easy with those who hesitate and go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Let's go on to the next one. There's one more, right? And now this is the doxology. So we've been challenged to extend mercy, benevolence, compassion, to love people, to not be judgmental, to not be critical, to worship, to pray, to allow the word to settle into us, to be involved in fellowship. And now he pronounces a blessing on it. He says, now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating to our one God, our only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Master. Be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time and now and to the end of all time. Yes or amen. It takes us right back to the one that we've been worshiping all along. It directs the glory to the one who's responsible for our strength, our victory, our understanding, our progress. To him be glory and majesty and strength and rule before all time and now and until the end of time. The focus has to be on the center and God has to be at the center. We keep Him at the center through our lives of worship. Listen, if your lifestyle is not aligned this way right now, then just make a decision. I, I, I grew up in environments, in churches, where there was so much emphasis on emotion, on feelings. The best services were the services where you had no preaching because things got uh, happy otherwise and people were rejoicing and praising and, and very pure in their motivations, but 100% lost on the fact that we should never come together in an environment like this and not receive the word. If you've got to stay till midnight, you need to get some word before you leave. Here's why. 
Because if it's any other way besides that, what you have is a feeling. And when you walk out of that door, that feeling is going to dissipate. Whereas if you walk out of that door with some word in you, that word is not going away. That word is seed that's been planted in soil that's going to start growing and producing a, a harvest and fruit inside of you. You have to have that word. Emotions, fine. They, they're part of it. Feelings, fine. They're part of it. We're going to be entertained here and there. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. But we're going to cover what we do with worship. We're going to live lives that are full of prayer. We're going to receive the Word, and we're going to fellowship with each other and whoever wants to come along and fellowship with us. If you are not there, if you're not living a worshipful life, if you get in your vehicle and you pop in, uh, or you pop on the country music station all the time, or you, or you turn on the hip-hop station all the time, or you turn on the oldie station all the time. Hey, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? If you never sit where it's just you and the Lord quietly, and ask Him to speak to you, to reveal something about Himself to you, share in communion and fellowship. If you never walk through your days meditating on that Word that you absorbed that morning, what do you want me to do for you? If you don't cover your life in prayer, Asking God to make sure that He's always at the center and you're on the perimeter looking into Him. If you don't pray for your children and your grandchildren, if you don't pray for your lost loved ones, if you don't pray for people you know who are struggling, who are sick, who are down, depressed, who are grieving, if you don't pray that the light of God's Word will shine on your pathway so you make sure you're traveling the right pathway, going to the right spot, if your life is not full of prayer, well, what do you want me to do for you? Just make a decision. Make a decision. I was talking to somebody this week, and uh, a person in crisis, and, and uh, we offered an option for them, and uh, they were presented with that option. This is a person who's been in perpetual crisis for years and years and years, who continues to make one bad decision after another, but the answer they came back with was, I'm going to try it my way before I decide to go your way. Decision, okay, well, you know, it seems to me like your way hasn't been working that well. And so there may be somebody else sitting in the house right now that you've been in church, maybe not even conscious that some of these things exist in you. You're, you're off base. You're in error in some ways based on what you've heard from Jude. And you have to acknowledge, well, uh, so far it just hasn't been working very well. Well, just make a decision. Don't wait on the feeling. Don't wait on some charged-up emotion to hit you through whatever happens. Just make a decision. I'm changing it. I'm changing it starting now. I'm going to start worshiping the Lord. 
I'm going to sing a new song to him. I'm going to, I'm going to sit before him. Because, look, we, we, we have been, not intentionally, but we've been led down a little bit of a path of misunderstanding about what all worship involves. It's not just singing and playing music and lifting our hands or clapping our hands or whatever. Listen, every time you say yes to God, that's an act of worship. Every time you commit an act of benevolence to the poor, that's an act of worship. Every time you love on a child who has not been loved on like they should have been at home, that's an act of worship. Every time you give out of sacrifice, that's an act of worship. Every time you speak the truth when you had an option to not speak the truth, that's an act of worship. I'm going to choose worship. I'm going to choose prayer. You've got to choose it until it becomes a habit. Just choose it. Instead of turning that radio on in my car, I think I'll pray for the next 15 minutes while I'm driving. Look, if, if you try this for a year and it makes no difference in your spiritual walk, you're in the same condition in a year you were from now, and you seriously made a decision for worship and prayer, then come to me and I'll write you a check for $10,000 in a year. But if you come to me, I'm going to call you a liar. You're just trying to get $10,000 because it is a 100% guarantee. It will work. It'll work. That's the nature of it. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the words of Jude to the church. Thank you that we're celebrating our one God and our one Savior this morning who has given us an opportunity to live in freedom in his kingdom. Thank you for all the testimonies in the room and for the testimonies that are on the way. Thank you for the growth that's happened in so many individual lives. We worship you today, Lord. We worship you in spirit and in truth. We worship you in our minds and in our hearts and with our bodies. We worship you in our decision-making. We worship you with our finances. We worship you with our giving to others. And we pray because you are our source. We have to have you. And we pray to you today and we pray to you as a lifestyle because we want our hearts to be prepared for your word. And then your word transforms us from the inside out. Thank you for this group that we get the opportunity to fellowship with. Thank you that your spirit's been here with us and that we're your children. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.